Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I am your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and today we have the wonderful Jesse Mundell. Say hello. Hi, thanks for having me on. No problem. So to start us off, if you can tell the audience who you are, what you do, and how did you get into the industry? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a personal trainer, a fitness coach, a kinesiologist, and I specifically work with prenatal and postnatal populations. So I coach strength training and safe core and pelvic floor exercise for women in pregnancy who are trying to conceive and for postnatal women, whether that is extremely early postpartum or if it is later on postpartum. So I always say that whenever you've had a baby, you are now postpartum. So to me, that is anyone that has had a baby anytime in their life. So uh, I coach, as I said, primarily strength training type programming. Um, My clients are all over the world. My business is 100% online at this time, although I coached in person for about 10 years of personal training type work. And then we moved around quite a bit in Canada and I started to build my online business that way, still coaching in person. And then just before I had my daughter, who is almost a year and a half, I transitioned fully online. So I'm a full-time stay-at-home mom and I work early in the morning when she's napping and after bedtime, that's when my business is run. So Definitely a juggle at this stage in my life and my career, but it's so cool because all my clients totally get it. They know exactly what I'm living, so it works extremely well. That's awesome. Yeah. um, I got into the fitness industry because I did my bachelor's degree in physical and health education at Queen's University, started personal training when I was doing my undergrad. And my very first personal training job was at a personal training studio that was specifically prenatal and postnatal training. So I was about 19 years old at the time, and that was my first introduction to seeing pregnancy and postpartum exercise. And then I went on to do my master's degree at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver and specifically focused my studies on prenatal and postnatal exercise and since then have just been really digging in as much as I can to these populations and trying to do my best for them. Sweet. What made you like think that like at age 19 you're like okay this is going to be my thing from now on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah um gosh I don't know if I did but I just knew that I was I was just so interested in what was happening in their bodies and then in their life as well. So I think that's such a key aspect of prenatal and postnatal training. So much body stuff is happening, but also so much life stuff, so much mental, emotional, physical. um, It's really the whole package. I just loved the conversations with these women, with these moms. I loved learning from them. It was so incredible to have all those years of training before I ever became pregnant myself. It was absolutely just so useful and so helpful. But yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was just, um, you could just tell that they were going through these huge shifts in their life and in their bodies. And to be able to help them and support them, it felt really good. Yeah, I find in our like industry, industry, it's not, there's not enough information about this stuff. Like mm-hmm. as a male coach, it's kind of hard to connect on that kind of level with a female. 
So it's nice to see more female coaches going into that direction now. Because really there's not a lot of information for like a regular person to go online and figure out what they need to go. Because most like, even when I started training and, you know, I mentioned a pelvic floor, a lot of clients were like, what, what, what is that? <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. It's, it is not talked about enough. There's, there is, there's some really, really great coaches doing this type of similar work, but it's a bit hidden and it's hard to find. And there's just so much more of the old school prenatal and postnatal exercise information on the internet that is what you're going to find if you search for this stuff. So, um, yeah, it is a tricky, it is a tricky thing for women to find really solid information. And then for coaches to find solid information, very difficult as well. What's your luck with like the medical system? Cause I've like asked a lot of mothers that I've trained, like what their doctor said after they gave birth and all they gave them was just do Kegels and you'll be fine. Yeah. Yep. That is unfortunately the majority of the time. That is what people are told. I think it Slightly depends on, it definitely depends on the type of professional a woman is working with and then that health professional's background. So if it's a midwife uh, versus an OB or a family physician who's still doing deliveries, the information they get could be different. But generally speaking, it really is do your pelvic floor exercises or do your Kegels. Um, there's still a lot of advice being given to women to do their core exercises or crunches or sit-ups, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then it's the biggest thing I find that women are still being told is don't do anything for those first six weeks postpartum. Come back, see me at your six-week checkup, and then you're good to go. Get back into the exercise that you were doing or that you like to do. And it's unfortunately not good information. Yeah. So now if we had to do like pelvic floor 101 for everyone listening, like where would you start with a woman – who just gave birth, like what would your recommendation be? Mm -hmm. So it's actually not even so much on the exercise side of things for taking care of the pelvic floor postpartum. I really start with the body alignment and the breathing. And that's kind of it for the first maybe couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, depending on what life is looking like for someone. But in terms of body alignment, I try to get people to understand that we want to stack the body, so stacking the rib cage over top of the pelvis and trying to be in that type of alignment as much as possible throughout the day and especially when caring for baby, uh, being loaded with baby on the body, baby in a baby carrier, uh, and especially once we get back to any exercise type of things. But body alignment, we want to stack the rib cage over top of the pelvis. It just aligns the diaphragm up with the pelvic floor. So you can't see my hands right now. <laughs> I'm demonstrating. But it's like a cylinder. The core is a canister. The core is from the diaphragm all the way down to the pelvic floor, which is the floor of the pelvis. It's the last part in the body that's going to hold stuff in, which is super important. And then that canister is surrounded by the abdominal muscles in the front and the sides, and then the spinal muscles along the back. So we have to get them understanding that the core is very much more than just the abdominals or just 
healthy six-pack muscles. There's so much more happening. So if we can get the diaphragm stacked over the pelvic floor, the rib cage over top of the pelvis, that tends to allow the abdominal muscles, the pelvic floor, a better opportunity to respond. Uh, they're in a better length. They can develop better tension when needed. So when they are picking up baby from the crib, for example. Um, and then the breathing Number one for me, I just try to get clients to get out of patterns of being breath holders, which tends to be really typical for pregnant clients. And then women who have strength trained or exercised in the past tend to be breath holders. So getting them to just focus on breathing well throughout the day, breathing well when holding babies, when holding their toddlers. And then the number one thing I always tell my clients is, exhale on exertion. So when they go to do a task, when they go to pick up the groceries to bring them into the house, they're starting their exhale breath and then they do that hard task that they're going to do. And that's just going to help the pelvic floor to be able to respond to that load that they're placing on the body. So body alignment, stacking things up with the rib cage over the hips as much as possible, and then getting them to breathe throughout the day and exhale on exertion. That's where we start. So would that be kind of like week one through week three or like the full six weeks after? Yeah, no, that to me is, so those things are lifelong stuff. Okay. But for sure, we can get back into a restorative core and pelvic floor exercise type program before that six-week postpartum mark, if things are going well. For most of my clients, they start adding in my program, which is called Core Plus Floor Restore. There's a program for a vaginal birth, a separate program for C-section, however the birth went. And they start somewhere in the two to three-week postpartum range. So they're doing this daily mini circuit eight to 10 minutes a day of some breathing, some stretching, and then some glute and core type exercises to start yeah, moving the body again and reconnecting the core and pelvic floor and just starting to work out some of the aches and pains that pretty much always come up with postpartum caring for a newborn. I find a lot of people with like learning how to turn on their core, they automatically think like they need to brace as hard as possible, like someone's about to punch them and you're like, no, just, just, you need to relax and stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, you totally hit the nail on the head. Um, oh gosh. Yeah. The bracing, that's a word that I never use anymore with my clients because it's exactly what, what you said. They, they bear down, they brace, they think that there's a ton of tension that needs to be generated in the abdominals and that's not how it is at all. And for a lot of my pregnant and postpartum clients, we're trying to actually release tension, relax tension in the pelvic floor for many people, even more so than we are trying to strengthen the pelvic floor muscles. Um, so yeah, no bracing, none of the belly button to spine stuff. It's really just uh, teaching them how to feel gentle tension in the deep abdominal wall and gentle tension in the pelvic floor when they need that tension to work. So what kind of like coaching cues do you give someone to like teach them to turn on their core? Because like, I think the one physio I've worked with, like <laughs> the best one that she gave me was thinking of picking up a one tissue out of the tissue box. And I just started laughing my head off, but like it kind of makes sense. 
But yeah, like it's it's kind of hard to explain to a woman, especially if you're a man and you're trying to not like break any barriers between coach and client. So do you have any better coaching cues? Yeah, I actually like that one with thinking about pulling a tissue out of a yeah. box, and that's kind of the action of the pelvic floor. Again, if we're under load and we need the pelvic floor to respond, I like that one a lot. Um, so for me, if we're talking about specifically about engaging the pelvic floor and I just use quotes when I said engaging because that doesn't make a lot of sense to people especially if they don't even know what their pelvic floor is or where it is saying engage the core or engage the pelvic floor they're like what are you even talking about (laughs) so I do love those really visual type cues one uh, and there's so many that I've gotten from incredible pelvic floor physiotherapists over the years if you think of a jellyfish So as a jellyfish is kind of soft, relaxed, floating through the water, and then as it contracts and lifts uh, and kind of gets itself into a ball to move itself, that's what I think about when the pelvic floor is engaging or lifting. So the pelvic floor is relaxed, say on the inhale breath as someone is squatting down, and then as they go to exhale, the pelvic floor is going to engage, lift upwards as they stand up from the squat. Um, Other things I like to use, um, people will talk about lifting a bean or a marble or a blueberry, something tangible with the vagina and anus. So thinking about lifting those, that thing up into the body again on the exhale breath as we go to engage or lift the pelvic floor. And then what's super key though is we want to let that tension down. So if we're doing Kegels, if we're ever told that we need to do Kegels, the really important thing to know is that we don't just want to hold tension and keep that tension. We want to release that tension. So on your inhale breath, you're thinking, for example, you're going to relax the pelvic floor. It's that soft jellyfish type motion on the exhale. You're going to lift the pelvic floor upwards, that jellyfish contracting and lifting motion. But then on the inhale, again, you have to release and let go and relax. And that's on every single rep we do, for example, of that Kegel motion, if that's something that is going to be effective for this person. Um, So just knowing that, it's really key to engage well, but also to release and relax well. I really like that idea of the jellyfish. That's awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of people can kind of get that yeah. in the brain and then connect it to their body. So now if uh, for the people who don't know what is like a pelvic floor physiotherapist and how could they help a woman with their pelvic floor issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So pelvic floor physios are the best They're I refer out to them constantly with my clients who are all over the world. So if you have had a baby at any time, I highly recommend that you go see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. I'm a big fan of pelvic floor physios that do internal work or internal assessments. So they're going to do a vaginal and likely a rectal assessment as well. So they are going to do uh, something similar to maybe what the OB or midwife did at the six-week checkup where they insert a gloved finger into the vagina and they're going to make sure that number one, 
the pelvic organs are where we want them to be. And what I mean by that is that they're not slumping or falling downwards into uh, the vaginal walls. So the pelvic organs are up where we want them to be. They have a good support structure holding them there. They are going to see if you can do that Kegel or pelvic floor lifting and releasing action well. They're going to feel if there are hypertonic or areas of a lot of tension or tightness in the pelvic floor, and they can do some manual release on them. Again, just with the finger, just helping those uh, tissues release that tension manually. Uh, and then they will assess the diastasis recti, so that really common abdominal separation that occurs and can persist uh, after pregnancy. And then they'll also just take a look at your alignment. They'll take a look at your breathing, making sure that the diaphragm is uh, maybe not super tight. It's moving well through the breath. They'll take a look at standing alignment. They might assess your pelvic floor function when you're doing a squat, for example, to see if things are uh, holding good tension there. So yeah, tons of different things. They can work on C-section scars. They can work on perennial tear scars. So absolutely fantastic for anyone that's had a baby, even if you don't think that you are experiencing issues in the pelvic floor. Yeah, the one that I always refer out to, what's kind of cool with her, she has a ultrasound machine, so she can actually show you on a screen if your pelvic floor is actually activating. So it's kind of cool to see that visual. And every woman I've sent there, they're like, I absolutely love it. I never knew that this even existed. Yes, it's so incredible for people to see that feedback. If someone does have an ultrasound, oh my gosh, it's just, it really is the best education for people. It also works really well when the physio, because like, I've sent people to different physios and you can see how much, I don't know if it's just they're busy, but like sometimes I'll just get a one like sentence answer, like just don't do this with this person. Or is this a pelvic floor physio? She'll write me like a short story on how my client did and what she should focus on and like just bullet points of everything but it's like literally a short story of information which is great oh it's incredible it just gives you as the coach such peace of mind moving forward to know exactly what is happening uh so going forward if you are prenatal what are your recommendations on training for each trimester mm-hmm. so during pregnancy, first trimester, gosh, it just, I hate to give you the answer, it depends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it really absolutely does depend on how the person is truly feeling. Um, it just, personally, just speaking from my experience during pregnancy, it was just absolutely insane to me how tired I was, how nauseous I was all day long. And you'll hear that if you have pregnant clients, that morning sickness is a total joke. We would have killed to just be sick in the morning and not all day long every day. There can be such intense food aversion. So calories might be low. Someone might be super tired. The energy is just not there. So that being said, I think that it is really key and can be so helpful if you're able to stay moving. For me, I know, and for a lot of my clients, it's actually a nice, it was a nice distraction to keep the body moving, to do some strength training, to do some walking. So 
if we are talking about a strength training program, keeping that up two to three times a week can feel really good. You're probably going to need to increase those rest periods. There might be a lot of exercises lying down, which is totally fine. But that's something that I kind of program into my prenatal training plans because whatever we need to do to keep someone active, then let's do that. So the loads might come down in the first trimester the rest time might increase in the first trimester. Second trimester, a lot of people do tend to feel better than the first trimester. It's kind of talked about as the sweet spot of pregnancy. So you might find that the intensity can ramp back up again a little bit in the second trimester. Maybe they're even lifting a little bit heavier than they were in the first trimester. You're getting just a bit more volume done in those workouts. And then the third trimester, things might steadily come back down a little bit in terms of volume and intensity again. So baby's getting bigger. It's just hard to carry in the body. Uh, There's more pressure in the core and pelvic floor. You might see some pelvic or low back aches and pains popping up. Hopefully we can keep those at bay though with that physical activity being present in the life still. Um, So... If you can picture it to me, it's almost like a bell curve as we think of first, second, third trimester, just in terms of that volume and intensity. So it might be lower in first trimester, ramp a bit in second, and then come back down in the third trimester as we get closer to birth. Yeah, but you're totally right. It really depends on the individual because I've trained a couple mothers who were pregnant, and there was like one where almost every after every exercise she had to like sit down and just kind of wait it out and then move on and then there's other ones that are like you wouldn't even know they were pregnant like I was like oh how are you feeling I'm fine let's let's keep going and it's just like and I even had one woman where she was so close to her delivery date like I trained her on the Thursday and on the Saturday she gave birth and like that session was just normal she's like yeah I feel fine let's keep going I'm like, that's amazing. Like, it's just amazing that you could do that. It really is pretty incredible just to be able to, just to be able to be a part of that relationship with someone. Yeah, I love it. And I was, I was telling her, I'm like, if you uh, break your water here, it's going to be a first for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, surprisingly, I have never had anyone go into labor during a session, but... <laughs> I'm sure it's going to happen at some point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now for postnatal uh, training, like we kind of spoke about it in the first six weeks, but a lot of times with some clients, like the incontinence kind of shows up after. So mm-hmm. again, you got to teach them how to like activate their core properly. But do you find there's like certain exercises that triggers that or do you see a pattern of some sort at all? Yeah, there definitely can be. So Exercises where incontinence might pop up tend to be higher impact type work. So maybe it's when someone is starting to get back into some interval run training or there is box jumps that are happening or jumping jacks tends to be a biggie, uh, jumping rope. So things where there is repeated impact downward pressure on the pelvic floor. But it can also just happen in any strength training exercise deadlifting, squatting, chin-ups, heavier dumbbell chest press, just things where there is a lot of intra-abdominal pressure being created and maybe the timing of the contraction of the pelvic floor 
and deeper abdominals isn't spot on. So uh, one of my clients actually was mentioning to me the other day that she tried jumping jacks for the first time and she was having some incontinence. But interestingly, she wasn't having any anywhere else in her life. She was running and totally fine. She could do some box jumps, totally fine. It was just on the jumping jack. So in that case, I wouldn't take the exercise out completely. We would just tweak and try again. So my advice to her is let's try to get a bit more slightward lean on the whole body. So we're really making sure we get the rib cage over top of the hips. And then we tweak the breathing. So we're going to start to exhale before she jumps out and then inhale on the way back in. And we're going to see if that just fixes it up right off the bat. So a lot of the time, it's just good coaching that can help reverse that incontinence. Say someone's leaking on a deadlift as they go to pull the bar from the floor to standing tall. I would have them start their exhale breath, lift the pelvic floor, and then go ahead and pull the deadlift. So those are things that I tend to use to help to reduce our combat incontinence if it does show up. And if they've done a really solid pelvic floor, core respiration program, and if they have seen pelvic floor physio, and we know that things are functioning pretty well, then we just dial in the coaching technique of the exercise. Yeah, I found deadlifts and chin-ups, those two were pretty common, and also running, but I was surprised. I've only had one uh, woman that complained about the chin-ups, and I was like, really on chin-ups? Like, I've never thought about it that way, but I'm like, yeah, I guess if you're like really squeezing that bar really tight, squeezing your glutes, and yeah, I guess it could happen. For sure. Lots of breath holding tends to happen with chin-ups too, so can definitely show up there. At what point would you like start introducing like say a front plank because that's a lot of people just like tense up so hard on that thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely do. Lots of breath holding tends to happen there, bum tucking or rib flaring. So for me, front planks tend to come back in somewhere after the three-month postpartum mark, and not because I don't think that they couldn't be introduced earlier than that. In lots of bodies, they absolutely could, but we're just doing so much other stuff in those first three months to recover, rehab, and restore the function of the core and pelvic floor that there's just not space for them in my programming right now. So tend to wait a few months and then start them on an incline, so elbows raised on a bench, feet on the floor, for example, and then work our way down eventually to the floor. I also like to program plank exercises in shorter sets, so 10, 15 seconds, and then repeating that, say, two to four times, and not just jumping back into a long, say, 30, 45-second hold, for example. Okay. I wish we had all this information that I could just give out to like every single client, because over the years, like chatting with all my female clients they were just like brought up like oh that's just normal you're going to be like that for the rest of your life and that's what like their mothers told them mm-hmm. and then it's like no it doesn't have to be like that and then like opens this whole different world and it just like dumbfounded like oh my god I never knew that I could actually get better yes yeah exactly and just giving that hope and that education that this is not your new normal this is something that's happening it's super common but you don't have to live like this forever or feel like this forever. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to go into some questions I got online. And mm-hmm. Lisa asked, okay, my ab separation is better, but definitely still there. My daughter is 11 years old. 
I'm a bodybuilder and I frequently have hip flexor strains and injuries. Can this be uh, due to the separation? My core is as strong as it can be, but it, does this separation make other things sloppy and less supportive and more prone to injury? Mm -hmm. So it definitely could. Here's what I always tell people, though, in terms of that abdominal separation. So this is diastasis recti. Mm -hmm. What we need to understand about diastasis recti is perhaps the separation of the abdominals is not an issue at all. So with diastasis recti, when healing that, we're not just trying to close the separation. We're not trying to get the abdominals back together again. We are trying to heal that connective tissue. We're trying to heal the function of the linea alba, so the connective tissue that runs down the midline of the belly from sternum down to the pelvis. We want the tension and the density of that connective tissue to be really strong. And often in the case of diastasis recti, it's not. It's squishy, it's widened, uh, it's thin, and that's just a product typically of pregnancy itself. There can be lots of other stuff going on, but um, if we're going to carry a baby to full term in our bodies, we're going to get some degree of abdominal separation just the way it is. It's a really cool function that our bodies are able to do that. So that linea alba gets weaker and it gets thinned and it gets stretched. So we want to heal that well postpartum. So Lisa is 11 years postpartum. Uh, and I would, I would be interested to know if the diastasis itself is actually an issue. So her diastasis could be very functional and there could still be a separation between her abdominal muscles. So she would definitely need to get an assessment from a coach that is extremely knowledgeable in postpartum fitness. And I would also recommend that she goes to see a public floor physiotherapist who can assess that diastasis to actually see what's happening with it. Her abdominal wall could be functioning just fine and there could just be other stuff happening and going on that's related to the hip flexors. What's like the average time frame for like that separation to heal up properly? Yeah, so usually by six to eight weeks, we're seeing good tension and density coming back into the linea alba. It can absolutely take more time for the function to be really solid again, but usually by six to eight weeks, if the breathing is on point, the alignment is on point, people have been doing good exercise technique, then six to eight weeks, we're seeing some good stuff happening. Because that physio I work with, she actually did a little presentation for our staff at our gym, and she actually showed videos of women with that ab separation, where if you got them to crunch forward, everything almost pushes out and almost looks like a loaf of bread. And I'm like, oh my God, that actually could happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And there can just be such a huge variance in diastasis and the separation. I mean, I've seen and assessed people with an eight to 10 centimeter gap between the abdominal muscles. And then I've assessed people at, you know, two weeks postpartum and there was no separation. So it's just, is really interesting how the body can respond to it. I know, like, uh, the one woman I just, um, I've been training, she just gave birth, I think, eight weeks ago, and, you know, I referred her out to the physio, she went to go see her, and she was completely fine, and I told her, I'm like, you know, you're probably one of the lucky ones that can just, like, go in, have the assessment, yeah, you're good, you're all good to go, whereas some other women actually have to put a lot more effort into that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Genetics can be huge in that as well. But that sounds great for her. Yeah. Now, the <laughs> other thing that kind of like bugs me is like you see a lot of like like mommy boot camps where all they do is like bicycle crunches for the first 30 minutes to lose all the baby weight. And you're like, ah, that's probably not the best thing to be doing right now. Gosh, totally. And as I was saying, my first job was in that pre and postnatal studio mm-hmm. and that's what we were doing. And it just, I feel so bad about it 10 years later. Cause I know that we're probably caused so many issues that were easily avoided. If we just had a yeah, had have done some better exercise programming, had have had the information, but yeah, it's still happening now, which is unfortunate. The other interesting thing is like, like with Lisa, like her child's 11 and you can still see issues even if you're, you know, kids like five years old, but if you never, you know, geared to see if there's something going on, you can just live your life with issues and they can take forever to actually fix them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they could be living with and things that they don't even perhaps recognize maybe mm-hmm. related to that postpartum recovery or their pregnancy. Yeah, like also I find um, depending on how the pregnancy goes, the hips have a lot of issues too. Like sometimes the SI joint just kind of comes out of alignment and people start saying like my hips clicking. It's like, that's probably because you gave birth. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Pregnancy is no joke. It's on the body. Now, with uh, someone having a C-section, would you kind of follow the same steps that we talked about before, or is there a different protocol for someone with a Mm C-section? It really does follow a very similar protocol. So I had an emergency C-section myself, and that was when the core plus floor restore for C-section program was really built because I had been coaching people basically the same, whether it was a vaginal birth or a C-section for years. And then actually feeling that recovery myself, I knew that we needed some different things added in. So the process is very much the same, resting well for a good couple of weeks, continuing to rest for as long as possible. But then at the two to three week postpartum mark, adding back in some specific breathing, stretching and more muscular exercises into the mix. What's really key for C-section moms to know is that we want to start adding some C-section scar massage back in maybe between four to six weeks postpartum, somewhere in there, very gentle massage around the incision to help deal with all the scar tissue that's being laid down. And that massage can just be extremely helpful to how the core and pelvic floor starts to heal and function again too. Now, if you had a client that did CrossFit and kind of has that uh, mentality of, you know, I need to go back in as fast as possible, what would you tell those people? (laughs) Yeah, it's tricky. Uh, My my personal uh, path in these situations is I try to educate as best as possible. I try to get someone to see pelvic floor physio. I think they often take it a bit more seriously when the physio has done a solid assessment and gives them some information, maybe about how the pelvic floor and core are healing. Um, 
And you know what? I tackle it from a mental and emotional standpoint a lot as well. Uh, I really encourage people to just allow themselves to be postpartum, allow themselves to be in this phase, this season. It is so short in the grand scheme of things. So I typically tend to say that the, the long path to core and pelvic floor recovery is actually the fastest one. It's actually this path that gets us back to doing all that fun, hard exercise again when we take the time in that immediate postpartum stage to heal really well. Otherwise, what I tend to see is people just get into this cycle of injury and rehab and go through it so many times over the course of a year. If they haven't done that uh that solid rehab and laid a really good foundation of core and pelvic floor function. Things break down eventually for most people. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's just from my experience what I've seen. So if I can educate as best as possible on what is happening in the body physiologically from a postpartum standpoint, get them to see pelvic floor physio and just really give them the permission to rest and relax. We te- it tends to go it tends to go well. I really don't run up against this basically ever in my practice anymore. At what point do you like see like even maybe for yourself like you know say you were working up towards a PR on your deadlift like when would be an appropriate time to like okay I think I've been through everything enough and it's time to you know try a three hundred pound deadlift or something like that. Hmm. Um, it, so if someone has healed really well, pelvic floor physio is going super well, maybe they've discharged them. Uh, and let's also say that maybe this client is not breastfeeding because that can definitely play a role in that support structure of the pelvic floor. So maybe they're not breastfeeding. Then somewhere in the six to 12 month range, we can really start ramping things back up again. And I always like to be clear that I train people who are general fitness clients. I do not train athletes. It is not my wheelhouse whatsoever. There's some people in the industry that do train postpartum athletes, but it's not my thing. If that is your client's goal, that they want to get back to competing in CrossFit, for example, then you're going to have to speed up that process if there is a date that they need to compete this lift on. So if that is the case, then the process has to be ramped up for sure. Maybe it's just it's their livelihood, it's their work, and you have to get things back quicker. If it is a general fitness client who just wants to feel good in their body, they want to feel strong, they want to have good energy, they're doing it for mood, emotional health, mental health, then somewhere in the six to 12 month range, we can start ramping things back up. For a lot of my clients, though, I would say it's it's beyond the one year mark that we're really pushing things. And even that is even at the year mark, it still feels so early postpartum to me and for so many people that we're not often pushing for PRs at that point. Although you could, it's just not happening for my clients that often. Okay. So it'd be kind of difficult if you were planning to have like a big family of three or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. It's, the recovery process, it takes time. Obviously, people get pregnant around the one-year mark or even sooner lots of times and do really well. Um, 
yeah, but it's just something to, it's just something to consider that the body is going through a lot of stuff in pregnancy and postpartum and just to honor it as best as you can in terms of taking care of it well. Okay. So a lot of new mothers, when they have their first child, like they always want to lose their baby weight and that's like the only thing they always talk about. What's your approach when it comes to like nutrition and weight loss that are realistic when you're postpartum? Mm-hmm. So I don't talk about weight loss or fat loss at all. It's okay. not, it's not something that is, it's not something that's fun for me to talk about. So I just don't. <laughs> and, uh, and we talk about focusing on health as much as possible from a nutrition standpoint. If we ever talk about nutrition, it is again about honoring the body. It's about self care. It's about taking care of themselves. We sometimes talk about nutrition in terms of habits. So if anyone's familiar with the precision nutrition system, that is how I coach nutrition if that's something I'm doing. So we focus on perhaps hydration first, and then we talk about protein, and then we talk about veggies and fats. But we don't – I never talk about meal plans, calories, macros – Again, it's just not something that I think is, it's not really enjoyable for a lot of new moms to put their focus in that realm. So again, I don't talk about fat loss and weight loss with my mama clients ever at all. Okay, that's interesting. Do you see them lose weight at this kind of approach or is it kind of just like teaching them that weight loss and you know, losing that 10 pounds, for example, is not important anymore. You got to focus on your child and the health of your body. Yeah, I think that's all in the mix for sure. I think it's really cool how the body naturally changes postpartum when you just focus on supporting the health of the body. But to be honest, I just try to get as far away from that, um, that conversation about an attachment of the body looking a certain way or being a certain size. We just try to get away from that as much as possible because I just think it can be so mentally draining for so many moms. So we don't talk about it that much. We try to get away from the body needing to look a certain way. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's just I was asking because I had one client and she had three kids and all she could talk about is how she wanted her body to be exactly the way it was, th- like, three kids ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I don't know, like, how to be like, well, it's probably not going to happen, but you want to, like, accept your new body and love who you are now because, you know, you gave birth to three beautiful kids. Like, that's what you need to focus on. But mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something mentally that blocks people that they can't accept who they are now. They always have to look back in their past. It's like, that's how I'm supposed to be. Yeah, 100%. And that is a conversation that absolutely comes up with my clients uh, is just, yeah, is wanting, wanting to go back in time, wanting this body to look like the body five years ago used to look. And I don't think that fat loss or weight loss are necessarily bad goals. I don't think that that is detrimental for every single person. I just coach a lot of new moms, a lot of frazzled moms, a lot of busy, richly scheduled moms, and I find that the the focus on fat loss, or even to be honest, the conversation on fat loss, doesn't 
actually enhance their lives that much. I think that focusing on um, giving their life some uh, attention and care and their health attention and care and consistent exercise to help make them feel better and feel stronger those things just add so much more value to them. So that's where we put our attention. And I think that weight loss and fat loss becomes a byproduct of that a lot of the time. Okay. Have you ever had a client who had plastic surgery in, you know, trying to get their body back to what it was? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I, I don't think I have actually. No. Because I've had two clients, like one mother of five, she decided to get uh, breast implants just to, mm-hmm. like, I understand, like, you're trying to, you know, you're done with childbearing and you just kind of want to appreciate your body again. And then I had another one who, I think it was like two tummy tucks or something like that and breast implants as well or something like that. So I found it kind of interesting that, you know, like, okay, I'm done having kids, so I'm going to change my body by plastic surgery to have it look like what it was before, before having kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. And I think what is so, what's important as a coach is that body autonomy is so key in how I coach. So if someone wants to do whatever they want to do to their body, then that's totally fine. And it's none of my business whatsoever. So if someone is really, truly hell-bent on fat loss and changing their body and feeling really uncomfortable in their body, and again, the scale number is super important to them, the size of the genes is super important to them, I just am probably not the right coach for them. Mm -hmm. And then I send them along to someone else who maybe would suit them best. So... Yeah, it is tricky though when you are just when you see such worth and value in a person and you just want them to believe it and feel that too. Yeah, cuz like I also think it might be also like their support system cuz I don't know what happens at home obviously, but I would imagine like if my wife decided to do that, but and but if I wasn't giving, you know, enough love and support and saying like, "No, you don't need that. Like you're beautiful." who you are and you kind of keep saying those positive things actually might change their mind. And also it doesn't help with like you go on Instagram and you go through your feed and all you can see is fit girls with thigh gaps and six packs. And you're like, Oh God, that's what I have to look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A practice that I encourage my clients to do every so often is unfollow and really curate their social media feeds to, to make them feel good. So if they log in, they hop on Instagram, they get onto Facebook and there's anything that they see that doesn't make them feel really good about themselves or that makes them question their nutrition or their exercise plan, then we unfollow for now. And we have total control over how social media makes us feel. I mean, it's tricky with ads, of course, that are popping up, but for the most part, we can see who we want to see. And so the unfollow button gets a lot of use from my crowd. <laughs> okay, yeah. The other thing I like to do for like my female clients is always do their measurements like every month. So anytime they're like, oh, I don't think I'm progressing, I feel fat, and I'm like, well, if you look at your me- measurements from like a full year, you're going in the right direction. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that's that's another practice that I personally don't use. We 
don't do measurements. We don't do weight. Uh, we really don't do photos at all anymore mm-hmm. for the sake of progress. Um, but I know that that, that can be useful for some people. Uh, for my clients, that's not something that tends to make them feel good. So we don't focus on that stuff as progress measurements. Well, it sounds like you have a tight community online, which is awesome. Yeah. Which I was going to ask, like, when you made a transition into um, just online training, how did you kind of keep that community? Because that's kind of a big topic this year of, you know, gyms really creating a culture and community where people want to be there and they, you know, feel connected because the person on the left and right of them are going through the same thing. So how can you kind of create that online? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our the private coaching group that – I run with my clients, which is in the two pregnancy and beyond program. It is, it's the best community I've ever been a part of. It, it really is incredible just how these women stand up, support each other. When someone posts in the group, there's immediately comments back to that mom, whatever she needs whatever support she needs, there's just comments that flow in from women all over the world that are just there to support, offer help, offer guidance, motivation. It is really been, yeah, one of the most rewarding parts of my career to see this group of women come together and really just support each other in sisterhood. So I think it, for me, I just try to be as honest as possible in that group and share my struggles and successes and um, yeah, and just help them as much as possible to show up as themselves in their life and to, um, to take care of themselves. So I think that's where we approach it from. And then everyone else just helps to take care of each other, uh, from there. And it, it works really well. Is it like a private Facebook group or is it on something else? It is a private Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah, I like Facebook because if you have a private group and someone posts, like you get that automatic like notification on your phone and then you see it and you automatically like, oh, I need to look at it. And that mm-hmm. kind of just like domino effect. And yeah, if everyone keeps commenting, like it's just, it's just great. I love it. Yeah, it's super fun. And what I love about our group in particular too, it is it's small in nature, in numbers. There's less than 200 people. And so I feel like I know every single person, you know, I know their kids names, I know where they live. Um, and I get to respond to every single person. I think these are so many massive Facebook groups now with thousands of people yeah. in them. Um, and the, I, I think the community sense can be lost in those groups, but in those small close knit groups, it's a totally different experience I'm finding. Awesome. Uh, so another question I got from Instagram um, Real Fit Love says, would, uh, would be great to hear any tips on how to get my period back. Yeah. Very, very vague, but, uh, I am sure you can shed some light on that. Yeah. So this might be a case postpartum period hasn't returned. Maybe, um, you know what? Number one, I always refer to naturopathic or functional medicine doctors. I think that, there can just be so much hormonal stuff happening postpartum. There's also probably under sleeping happening, over stress happening. So I think that referring out to naturopathic doctors in this case, getting some blood work done, um, having the naturopathic doctor really read through that 
and just taking care of the life stuff from a holistic approach, that is usually my first line of defense. Yeah, I find uh, naturopaths are kind of now kind of the new norm. Like it's kind of shifting in that direction because a lot of times it's like I had a client having issues and she went to her doctor and all they said is like, oh, you can just go on birth control and everything will fix itself. And I'm yeah. like, well, that didn't really fix the problem. You're just masking it. So she went to a naturopath and, you know, a couple months of following the recommendations, she's better. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. It was so naturopathic doctors have been <clears throat> so helpful to me and they were trying to conceive as well when my cycle was all over the place. So, um, yeah, I just have had so many clients had really, really great experiences. Yeah, like now, like almost every year they're adding new stuff to the curriculum and now you're seeing, you know, when students come out of their degree and they're choosing med school or naturopathic school, they actually take the time to, you know, weigh in the pros and cons and you're seeing more of them choose naturopathic medicine. And uh, I actually have two friends who are uh, about to graduate and I remember them telling me um, when you interview, if you tried to go into regular med school and didn't get accepted they can figure that out somehow and they won't even accept you because they don't want to be second best when it comes to choosing their profession. Wow, interesting. So, like, I I hate the divide between those two because they should really be working together. And I think I've said it on a different episode. One naturopath that I work with here, um, he actually, every time he gets a, a new patient, he'll actually reach out to their doctor to kind of, you know, work together to help this person. And I'm like, oh, how, like, successful have you been? And he's like, I've had three so far. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. One of my absolute favorite naturopathic doctors, Dr. Brooke Kalanick Larson, mm-hmm. she is based in New York City, works a ton in women's health. So this person that asked the question would probably want to check out Dr. Brooke's information. But I know that Dr. Brooke is always super supportive of alternative medicines and more Western medicines and just how those can be used to support each other because they absolutely can be. Yeah, definitely. I just want to see like a future where both naturopathic doctors and regular doctors work together because mm-hmm. all their methods can work for an individual. It's just like trial and error. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so last last question for you because it's already been an hour, which always goes so by. It goes fast every single time. <laughs> uh, so where can people find you online? Uh, if you have any projects coming up, any like speaking engagements or anything like that. Yeah, so my main website is jessiemundell.com and that's where my blog is housed as well. Uh, on Facebook, I'm at Mundell Lifestyles and at Jesse Mundell on Instagram. So I run a group coaching program called To Pregnancy and Beyond, and that is where I tend to solely work with clients at this time, uh, pregnant clients and postnatal clients. There's different tracks for any person, regardless of their stage in pregnancy or postpartum. Uh, and then I also write for Girls Gone Strong. I'm an advisory board member. So at girlsgonestrong.com, you can find a whole bunch of more articles written on pregnancy and post-pregnancy exercise. Awesome. So I want to thank you for all your time today and all the great information, and hopefully people got something out of it. Great. Thank you so much. No problem. 
Okay, that's going to wrap up episode 28 with Jesse Mundell. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that one because she was our first female guest speaking about women's health. And that you know topic is not really discussed enough in our industry. So hopefully you know she sparked something in you that you're going to share this episode with all the female people in your life to kind of shed some light on the topic. Now, again, um, go check out my Patreon page for this podcast. It's patreon.com forward slash cut the shit, get fit. You'll find there um, all the content that's exclusive if you become my Patreon supporter. And that would be super cool and super rad if you did it. And thanks again. And we'll see you guys next week.